0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Today, we are talking a brand new topic with a brand new expert. He's a fantastic bloke, a lot of experience, knows a lot about this topic. We are talking commercial property today and a fairly basic introduction to commercial property so we can all get on the same page and work forward with some future episodes. We have Anthony Morabito in. He's not the footballer. He's the uh, renowned commercial real estate agent. Anthony, thank you very much for coming in, mate. Thanks for having me here. It's great. Anthony, let's start with an introduction. Uh, and I, I guess the first question would be: What is the difference to a mum and dad investor between investing in a residential house in a residential street as a passive investor compared to going and investing and buying a commercial property? Yeah, so I think probably the first thing
1: to note there is the barrier to entry for some people. Residential property, in terms of the level of investment, you can generally get in under 500000 and, and maybe get your first property there and, and build from that.
0: With a pretty good loan-to-value ratio as well, eighty ninety 90
1: percent if you had to. Yeah, correct. I mean, with with commercial, that barrier that people need to get over, I suppose, to get into the market and be a commercial property owner is, you know, you're generally spending entry-level 500000 and it's a very competitive space uh, with... Self-managed super funds sort of competing in that space under a million dollars, uh, and also your LVRs for the banks. You're generally around the 60 or 70 percent cash ratio. Yeah, correct. So I think first one is is difficult, but once you've got it, if you can leverage off that and and structure your debt in such a way that it's not too cumbersome, that you can actually release some equity and then go do some some more investing. Getting the first one is the challenge, but uh, I think the payoff for that is is certainly longer guaranteed lease terms. And the yields are uh, much more attractive than the residential investments. Um, Is that
0: because it's deemed a slightly riskier investment itself?
1: Yeah, look, it is. And the risk comes in in vacancy and and tenant default. So uh, when economic times are good, uh, the risk of tenant default and vacancy is obviously diminished where you've got a competitive market and tenants coming forward
0: to lease vacant property. Or you think about... You know, COVID and not just, you know, Perth's been pretty lucky, haven't we? But when you think about Melbourne, geez, the landlords of commercial property in Melbourne would be on the brink right now, a lot of them.
1: I think, uh, yeah, COVID's been an interesting set of circumstances for commercial landlords, obviously similar to residential where there's been the the legislation which has um, held tenants within the property even if they're unable to pay rent at that time. We've been fortunate here in WA where we've come out of the minor COVID lockdown that we did have. And most businesses have been trading since sort of mid to late May. And that's certainly being reflected in those tenants being able to perform and pay rent. There are some landlords that have taken, taken a hit, absolutely. And, and there are still some there that are still unable to claim rent from their tenants because tenants just aren't able to trade or maybe have had to shut the business down. Maybe the tenant um,
0: is a flight centre, for example.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's been an interesting set of circumstances, but it's not the norm, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we hope. I think overridingly out there at the moment, there's there's a bit of positivity in the commercial market across most sectors.
0: Well, it's been battered over the last six, seven years, hasn't it? Yeah, so definitely since... We t- think the residential market's been knackered. the commercial is next level, isn't it? Yeah, so since probably two
1: fourteen is where it really started to decline and... That was led by the resources sector and in WA, for as much as we like to try and look at diversifying our economy, we're still a resources-led state. 2014 was a time where, where that really started to, to suffer and that had a knock-on effect through commercial sector, whether it be you know industrial, retail, office suffered as well. Office um, has but, suffered massively, especially correct. on the terrace, hasn't
0: it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, vacancy rates got up to sort of just in excess of 25% Imagine if you CBD. had 25% vacancy rate in the residential market. And that's mm. where the risk is. You said it's in vacancy because the worst we had in the residential market was 7.5% a couple of years ago. And that was horrific. It was really hard to get a tenant in a couple of years ago if you had to and it wasn't a prime property. You're talking about numbers that are over three times that level of vacancy. So you're
1: thinking in the office, if you think of one in every four buildings, vacant, that's effectively what that 25% vacancy rate means. So, What is it now? How's it going now? It's trending around 18%. So it has, it has come back in the last 12 to 18 months. And what's the natural number? Perth is a boom and bust town. So uh, if you look back to, I think it was 2012, vacancy rate was around 2% in the CBD. What happened is once the resources sector started to come off the boil. A lot of sublease space was, was dumped onto the market by Rios and BHPs and a lot of the junior miners in West Perth.
0: Because all the project teams, they leave and there's empty floor space in the office.
1: Correct. So there, there was an impact there almost immediately on that on the office market. And then if you coupled that with an impact in the industrial sector, obviously industrial property demand was declining. And then you know that had the knock-on effect because resources state you have a lot of supporting uh, trades and contractors that then start to suffer. So it really just filtered through the
0: market and And then retail started, suffers as well.
1: Yeah, correct, less disposable income. So it's, it's really wide-ranging. I mean, with commercial, you're very much as a landlord at the mercy of the economic conditions. You can have the most beautifully presented property, but if the economy and the market conditions aren't conducive to having a tenant that would suit that property, you may be sitting with a vacancy for some time. So the, the yields that you look at and see, although they are attractive and they absolutely are compared to
0: residential, you do take that
1: risk factor, like with any investment.
0: So let's think about a first-time commercial property investor, a mum and dad who have saved up enough cash, and they think, look, uh, we're getting to that point where our risk profile is more, we'd like to have a maybe a longer-term, higher-yielding asset. Uh, and they think commercial property is the way for them. They're done with passive investment in residential space, They maybe don't want to do development in the residential space anymore or ever, Uh, and they've chosen commercial. Where do they normally end up as their first acquisition?
1: Typically speaking, if you're looking at an investment around the million dollars or or sub $1 million, it it is a very competitive space, and uh, you're competing with a lot of self-managed super funds and self-funded retirees who uh, will have this property in their portfolio and live off the income potentially. i uh, look at building a, a portfolio from there. You're typically going to be targeting sort of your strata industrial properties. Like in Osborne Park or Welshpool Osborne or Wangara. Correct, correct. And so who would your tenant be? Plumbers, contractors. So there is a bit more risk associated with, with those tenants. Obviously, they're not global or ASX listed groups. So you do take a bit of risk on when you invest with that, that sort of
0: tenant. You know, you're, you're investing in their business in a way, aren't they? aren't you? Yeah,
1: look, you're backing the tenant. So we often say that without a good tenant, you don't have a good asset. So the covenant that that tenant brings to your property will often have a bearing on on the value. So as a valuer, when they will go out and have a look at the property, they'll be scrutinizing the lease and the strength of that tenant. And that will then weigh on their valuation in terms of the
0: capitalization rate that they'll apply to that building with that tenant in situ. Would you recommend that uh, novice commercial investors get into uh, cafes and uh, small retail on, on Cafe Strip? Because it's popular, a bit, probably yeah. a bit cheaper to get in smaller yeah. spaces, right?
1: That's certainly been a very popular investment class for first-time or mum and dad investors over the years. It's a risky category as well. Um, and through COVID and, and the economic downturn, the retail F&B have been hit yeah significantly. I'll give the city as an example. Less, less people in the city means less potential customers, so that then impacts food and beverage operators or it could be the hairdresser or barber down the road or those service-based businesses that rely on the foot traffic. And then that has an impact on them being able to pay rent, and that then has an impact on the investor or property owner being able to um, collect rent and potentially pay the mortgage on the, on the property. So it has been a, a popular investment class. It'll be interesting to see what happens in this post-COVID world because
0: a lot of those sort of F&B and retail strip tenancies were significantly impacted. Well, you think about places shut down, like Beaufort Street, yep. even before COVID, places naked. There's so many for lease signs.
1: It's a very competitive market in terms of that offering. So, as a cafe or a beauty salon or a barber, you don't have a, a captive market audience to yourself. You're, you're competing with dozens or. You know, hundreds sometimes other operators up and down the, the high
0: street or, or in the mall. So The small business as well, where the overall uh, net profit for the year of that business wouldn't generally be much more than the average salary of uh, individual working a PAYG job. So, the strength or the fragility, I guess I should say, of that business is... is- quite prominent if that business isn't going too well the owner who's generally working in the store most of the time of the of that business is sick or getting you know, frail uh, the business falls apart and therefore the tenancy is, is lost.
1: Yeah you see a lot of family-run um, businesses in that scenario and uh, where they bring in the family to work within the business and that that can work. But you're right, it's susceptible to losing the the key stakeholder in that business and then them suffering as a result. So upfront due diligence on any investment is is important and commercial property is certainly the same. And what you're analyzing in in that investment is not just the property itself, but you're really scrutinizing and, and doing your own due diligence on the tenant and the strength of the tenant. The way
0: that commercial property is valued is also quite different to residential property. Uh, With residential property, it's a lot of the time it's obviously based on the land value, the highest use of the land, whether it's subdividable or not, as well as the value of the dwelling itself. It has it been renovated? uh, Those sort of uh, how depreciated is that asset? Uh, We compare it to next door and what sold recently, and we don't really consider the yield as an investor that often. It's more about focusing on the capital growth, and as long as the yield's pretty good, hopefully covers the mortgage, uh, then we're all pretty happy. With commercial property, it's different, isn't it?
1: There's various methods, but effectively, if you're buying a commercial premises with a tenant in situ, you are analyzing that rent, and and you're looking at that rent as a capitalized value, and that's generally how you're arriving at the the value of the property. The cross-reference method there is definitely you're looking at comparative sales for uh, vacant premises as well because not so much now because rents have come back significantly over the last few years, but you do get over-rented properties where there is an inflated rent. So if you're purely using the, the capitalization method of valuation there on an inflated rent, that's going to give a distorted value of the property. So the good check and balance there is to really make sure you're analyzing what the comparative vacant possession sales are for a similar property and using that as a, as a sort of balancing method and then making sure you do your research on what the market rents are for a similar type property. If you're looking at sort of million, sub-million dollar investments, you know, if you're looking at the industrial sector, for example, it wouldn't be uncommon to be a yield just under or just over 6% uh, on those investments and that's a net return. So, typically, in a commercial and industrial lease, you have the tenant paying all of the outgoings. So well, let's talk income, about that as yeah. well, yeah. So your income is is a net income, whereas in, let's use a a cafe or a hair salon as an example, that would be on a retail lease. Uh, Retail leases, there are some exclusions in what a landlord can recover from a tenant in the outgoings. So things like property management fees and the cost of the actual lease documentation is something that the landlord has to to pay themselves. They can't recover those from a retail tenant, whereas in the industrial sector or office um, or medical... Uh, in in the lease, the commercial lease, you can actually recover those through the outgoings.
0: Yeah. So, as an example, you would have someone who's paying forty thousand dollars a year in in rent for that property. Uh, you generally, I guess, the value would be an extrapolation of that, right? So, it would, if that was a six percent yield, that forty thousand dollars, and then we're gonna that's essentially uh, the asset, the value of the asset. Is that how we're looking at it?
1: Look in a simplistic form, yeah. If you said, look. Here's the income. It is a net income, and we're going to capitalise that at six percent or six and a half percent, whatever the market is dictating for that type of premises with that lease term remaining and with that type of tenant. Then, that's the methodology you'd use. Yeah, yeah. But your income, your net income, is the income in your hand. So, I mean, if the lease is structured in the correct way and always. Again, part of your due diligence is to scrutinise the lease and you know getting into detail around outgoings recovery and what the lease permits for. So as long as that's all in place, you you know your net income should be protected and you shouldn't be paying outgoings out of that net income in a commercial lease. But different in a retail where you may have a uh, a property management fee that the landlord is
0: paying direct out of the rent. Well, let's talk about those outgoings. That's the difference as well between commercial and residential. As a residential investor, you're paying shire rates, you're paying water rates, you're paying for the uh, aircon to be fixed, you're paying for a number of fees. But with the commercial side, we as, as the tenant, we pay all these things on behalf of the landlord. Why is that? <laughs>
1: That's a good question. Um,
0: look, I, I, I
1: can't delve back through and, and say how it came about. So it, it, is, it is the industry norm. Uh, the operating costs are able to be recovered by, um, by the landlord through the, through the outgoings. So
0: the benefit of being a commercial landlord, I guess, look, compared is, to a residential landlord. It
1: is. And again, it comes back to what I was saying before about the risk profile. Sure, in, in, in commercial, you may be looking at long vacancy periods. So it wouldn't be uncommon in the market we're just coming out of to have a vacancy of six, 12 months. So I suppose looking at it as an investment opportunity, there needs to be some benefit to investing in, in commercial property. And I would say that that's certainly one of them the recovery of those of those outgoings. Now, the flip side to that is when your property is vacant, your outgoings are much higher than you know, your council rates and your insurances and water rates. Land tax potentially are certainly much higher than a residential premises. So, again, that's part of the risk factor. You're, you're taking that risk on uh, and potentially you know, you're taking that cost on through a vacancy period.
0: And that's, uh, I guess, what a residential investor would cop anyway. It's part of their feasibility on it. Do commercial property investors invest for yield or do they invest to ride the market and hope that the rent goes up, therefore, based on that yield, the capital value goes up and then they can sell it? Or is it both?
1: Look, it's both, but but typically, if you look at the last 10 years as a, as a snapshot, it's been for yield. Because the capital um, value has probably gone down because rents ca- have gone down. Yeah. And, and, and look, when you do get an increase in capital value in commercial, when you compare that to... The residential market, very rarely do you ever see the same percentage growth, you know, the same trajectory of growth in the capital value. So, slightly more stable and sustainable. Generally, but it's, it's most people that invest in in commercial are
0: focusing on the on the yield, uh, the longevity of that asset. So, as a final question for this intro to commercial property, uh, I think it's probably best to get an update from you on how things are going with regards to rents and incentives and all that right now in the industry. What's the current state of play?
1: That's a good question. There's no single answer for commercial as a banner, but there's obviously. Sectors within the commercial sector, and they all have their own sort of journey they're going on. So, if we look at the core sectors, the sector that's really performing from a landlord's point of view right now is certainly the industrial sector. There's been solid growth and tenant interest in that sector over the last 12 to 18 months, and in traditional industrial areas like Welshpool and Qdale. And you've seen a lot of absorption of, of stock there in a relatively short period of time. So that's been driven by the activity in the mining and resources sector, obviously. And certainly now you're starting to see the low stock levels have an impact on rents and also an impact on some of the outer industrial areas like your Bibra Lakes and Wangara,
0: Malaga, etc. So- it's starting to spill over. into Correct. So yep. as, a,
1: as a tenant now, certainly not there's not as much opportunity for a variety of, of premises than there was maybe two years ago. So that, that's that market's tightening up pretty quickly. If you look at office, the the office market's obviously been hit a lot through COVID with offices shutting down. So I saw some stats come out earlier this week from the Property Council in terms of occupancy of people moving back into their CBD offices. So I think Perth was tracking in October at around 77%. So that's 70, 77% of businesses remobilising their people back into the CBD, which is a positive. I think we we're second behind Hobart in that regard. Obviously, uh, people have been mobilising since sort of late May, June. Uh, the vacancy rate in the CBD is is just over 18% at the moment, so that's trending in the right direction. Although it's coming off a, a sort of pretty high sort of market around 25%, so that's heading in the right direction.
0: What percentage does it get to before we see rates or rents increase?
1: Yeah. Well, so what you're seeing in the CBD right now is there's been a flight to quality over the last few years. So you're seeing people are
0: upsizing. Yeah, because
1: because rents have come down significantly from where they were, say in two. 213, 214, tenants that are comfortable to, to do so have been moving up the asset class and and to a better quality premises. So you're actually seeing a lot of activity in that that premium and A-grade office space and that space is is filling. That's kind of the stuff that's that's actually moving whereas your B and C-grade stock is, is sort of languishing behind. That's, that's the one that people are moving from to sort of get themselves a better quality premises. So I think what will happen once that, that sort of premium and A-grade is, is fully taken up, There'll be a bit of a squeeze on the landlords of B and C grade stock to upgrade facilities or premises. Yeah, I, th- I think they'll have to significantly drop rents or maybe uh, demolish and and, and uh, build new buildings, which isn't always feasible. So, so the office market's going yeah going okay. Um, covid aside, uh, retail's actually bounced back relatively positive, uh, positively positively post covid. I think we're seeing even you know, cafes and small personal service retailers trading quite well. I mean, they're coming off a low base of rents. So the rents have come down over the last few years and there's opportunities for tenants now to get in at a relatively economical rent and, and build their business. So that's that's a positive. We'll wait and see what happens in, I think, March when the whole JobKeeper stimulus comes off to see how many how many survive and... Well, yeah, there's a lot of business,
0: small businesses I've spoken to where this has really just been profit, the JobKeeper, for them. Since May, they've been operating nearly normally but they've been getting you know, thousands of dollars a week extra in, in incentives, really, to keep a business open that they would have anyway.
1: And a lot of them have got challenges. Like, they are open but they can't get people to come and work in their, in their cafe so it's it's been a bit surreal again here in WA because there is like there's a lot of positivity in in the marketplace like right now but also I think a lot of people have got their eye on sort of early next year and what happens once the stimulus does come off but yeah a lot of cafes struggling to get people to come and come and work or come back to work of the, um, the stimulus there. So.
0: Anthony, thank you very much for coming in, mate, and chatting commercial property. It's our first ever commercial property episode. I hope that the listeners have found this really insightful because I certainly have. And I definitely think we need to have you back in to discuss some more detailed uh, information, really start to dive you know, much deeper uh, into the different sectors you can invest into and why and, and the pitfalls, the risks, the opportunities for them. So thank you very much for your time, mate.
1: Thanks. It's been a pleasure.